0: Warning, what you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised.
1: I drank a cup of coffee and ate a piece of toast with peanut butter on it I'm good to go.
0: Oh, peanut butter. You better not drive.
1: <laughs> hey, you know what? <laughs> this is... This is where it's going to get real crazy. It was it was cinnamon swirl toast.
0: What? Mhm. Yeah, what is that uh if you ingest too much is it cinnamon or is it like nutmeg that's poisonous? I think both. Yeah.
1: I think both. Like uh, cinnamon
0: you you won't be able to breathe, but nutmeg will actually there's like arsenic or something in it.
1: Yeah, I also saw in a in I was watching Malcolm X and when he's coming down from uh cocaine addiction he's taking nutmeg to help him along so apparently you can use it for that too oh weird
0: that's super weird Mm -hmm. what do what do they cut they cut cocaine with uh like baby formula or yeah something like uh laxatives or some some Mm -hmm. shit like that that's wild to me Mm mm-hmm People snorting things is wild to me. Like I'm such a square that I can't even fathom like sniffing something directly into my brain. Yeah.
1: I did it one time and I, I really didn't even really like I didn't notice any uh like huge difference or anything. <laughs> I was just like, oh, okay.
0: So you definitely got the baby formula. Right.
1: <laughs> well, that's too bad. Yeah. Or maybe it's good, because I was like, well, what's the point of this?
0: Yeah, definitely. I can't imagine you with, like, a crazy... <laughs> like a coke habit. Yeah. Do you like talking more than you already do? Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. yeah.
1: Tell me about it. Ugh. Boo. <laughs> well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Trash Sheep. I'm Elliot, and joining me, as always, is Keith. Howdy, 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 movie lovers. Uh, We're going to do something special today something we've done once before uh i guess are we doing this because we're coming up on halloween
0: yeah it's that spooky time of year when things start crawling out of the ground and uh people are live laugh and loving at target drinking their pumpkin spice lattes and uh teenage girls are turning into
1: vengeful robots that's right uh we if you recall maybe was it like 2 2 years ago I think we did a show called the Midnight Special where Keith and I went to a late showing of a horror movie and then we got out, got out of the movie and talked about it Now obviously this time we didn't go to any movies together uh we're not even in the same room this time because of you know things But we did yeah, watch a movie because of the
0: because of these unprecedented times <laughs> Unpre- that we <laughs> <Yeah>. live in <laughs>
1: Uh, but we did watch a movie, and it is late at night, so we're bringing back the midnight special. That's right, we're resurrecting it. It's
0: after midnight. It's late night, where anything mm-hmm. can happen and anything is possible. There yes, might be definitely nefarious substances and poisons and and uh, snake snake oil or nerve tonic. Oh, yeah, or, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, concoctions. What, concoctions. What, is it, what is all that? Potion. Bo- Are you thinking, of, poach, thinking about not like... potions? potions.
1: Potent potables. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, something like that. You know, the crap. There's just crap. There's crap. A lot of crap going around. we you know, it's late at night. It's definitely not the daytime. Um, not at all. We're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna talk about some movies, or any movies, in particular. Yeah, you, we're you talking wanna... about
0: Deadly Friend because when you think of spooky season, when you think of Halloween, there's only one name that comes to mind, and that is. Christy Swanson.
1: That's correct. Ooh, <laughs> this is the shivers already. <laughs>
0: no, d- um, this is honestly, uh, all joking aside, this is gonna be a steep climb straight out of hell because this movie is in a lot of ways awful. And yeah. it's brutal. But there's specific justifications and reasons why it's awful, and there's also some great things about it. So we're gonna we're, yeah, gonna, we're gonna, gonna use all this. the strength and energy and uh, uh, performance-enhancing drugs that we can to to crawl straight out of hell and let you know why this movie is worth watching at least once in your
1: life. So to give everyone, in case you're not familiar with this movie, a little rundown: this is a Wes Craven movie from 1980. Five? Six. Six. And if I correct me if I'm wrong, Keith, but this is the movie Quest Craven made directly after Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Correct?
0: I, I believe that to be correct.
1: And it stars Christy Swanson. Um it stars Anne Ramsey. And the kid who played Albert on Little House on the Prairie.
0: Yeah, that little House on the Prairie bit is really something to take notice of because at this time in the mid 1980s, I was but a, but a wee child, but Little House on the Prairie was an absolute phenomenon.
1: Mhm. Yeah, it was big time.
0: The only people who weren't watching Little House on the Prairie were likely uh, you know, devil worshipping Satanists, but even then they may have just been watching it ironically for laughs.
1: Or to gather information, you
0: know. Yeah, exactly. Just to study the outside world, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was the biggest show on TV. It was a cultural phenomenon. So, uh, having this kid star in this, you know, sort of sci-fi horror movie was a kind of a big deal.
1: It was he would. It definitely would have been uh, like uh, somebody who, you know, you're casting from TV. And it's like, oh, this person could become a, a big. He could make the transition. He never really did, but like you know, when you see those movies. And they're like, we'll get a we'll get a predominant TV star who hasn't made it into screen yet, and then they might, you know, turn into a big movie star like Zac Efron or somebody like that, you know. That's right. So, and then what this movie is about, um, Albert, as I don't know what the actor's name is, let's call him Albert. Yeah, Big Al. He is a computer robotics whiz
0: kid. He is a genius. He is light years ahead of. Everyone around him.
1: All his teachers, doctors, everyone else. He's just like brilliant. Builds a robot uh, an incred- with an incredible AI that's just a basic, you know, like I'm a robot with claw hands. And then when his uh, would-be girlfriend gets murdered by her abusive father, he steals her body from the morgue and puts a robot chip in her brain to try and resurrect her. And she comes back as. There's mixed, some... let's just say there's mixed results. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, well, that's the premise. We'll, we'll, we'll stop talking about the plot for now and then we'll start from the beginning and just yeah, work it, our way it through. It works,
0: but it doesn't. It, something happens. <laughs> Good for him. He gave it the old college try. And he's in, there's even a scene where he's teaching a college class and everyone is enthusiastically scribbling down notes just in awe of his brilliance. That's how intelligent this kid is.
1: And this kid, okay, but here's something I I do want to bring up because it's never to me entirely clear how old uh, these characters are supposed to be. Now, it's not uncommon for, you know, older actors to be playing younger kids or high school kids or, you know, even college kids by people in their 30s or whatever. But at times I feel like this movie is, they're in their early 20s, they're sixteen. And sometimes I feel like they're ten years old. Yeah, I feel like
0: the intent, d- despite there being a paperboy character, I think right. the intention is that they're around 15, 16.
1: Yeah, it's not just a paperboy character because I mean, like you could be like, okay, he's slightly old for a paperboy, but whatever. He's got to he's got to earn some cash somehow. Exactly. But there's there's this th- certain things they do and behave. I'm like, are they eight years old? Yeah, like, some how, of them are, are very
0: childlike. They also respect their parents, in most cases, or other adults.
1: Yeah. There's when very, not, very not... little sass back. <laughs> very little sass back. Even
0: in, you know, <laughs> typically teenagers are angsty, and they're like, shut up, mom, you mm-hmm. can't run my life, I want to be independent. But even this whiz kid genius who eventually arcs into supervillain territory, he never even utters a word of disrespect of, of of yeah of attitude to his mother who in her defense is incredible she's a strong independent woman uh she cooks a feast for every meal and she doesn't mind that her genius son has a robot following him around that essentially is a a military grade weapon <laughs> it even it assaults a man by crushing his testicles with so much force, he likely had to go to the emergency room okay, and get so blood m- pumped out of his ball
1: sack. There's so much I want to say about this movie that I don't even know where to begin. <laughs>
0: well, let's and- start with my favorite part because like, the co- be- the cold be- open to this
1: movie... Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, okay, so before you before we get into that, I was going to say this. Like, So I wrote down a note about that cold open, and at the beginning of this movie, I was so furiously scribbling down notes because unlike a lot of movies we do i actually prepared for this one um this is a I,
0: dense a visually rich and dense movie like if you really want to sink your teeth into a movie this is it despite its yeah. flaws or problems it's got a lot a lot for you to chew on
1: I like a lot of the times when we do these i you know i don't necessarily take notes or i'll be like I saw this movie about five years ago. I don't need to rewatch it if I'm running low on time. Yeah, we know it by one, the back of our hand at this point. Yeah. In, in a This time cases. I was like, I, I saw this movie once probably probably close to 30 years ago. And I was like, I'm going to watch <laughs> it again. I'm going to take notes. And I was so furiously writing down notes that about 10 minutes into the movie, I just stopped writing notes <laughs> and didn't write because I was just like, there's no way I can keep up with this. You're I'm just, just writing down there. the whole movie. I'm going to sit back and just let this thing wash over me. And it wasn't until... The end that I started writing down some notes again because boy, oh boy. But yeah, that cold open. Let's let's talk about that.
0: Well, the cold open is uh is a a vehicle robbery. Some mm-hmm. man breaking into a car. And instead of money, instead of jewels, instead of stealing the car, he finds a surprise in the back seat. It's a robot, <laughs> it, which he's somehow he, the way he plays
1: it. It seems like he's found a baby. Yeah. He goes, Oh, you're kind of cute. And then a robot arm comes out and starts choking. him. To death. <laughs> <laughs> and he jumps out of the car and runs away. And then a delightful family gets into the, cu- the car. Now I'll also say about this cold open, like the opening shot, the way it's filmed, it looks like you, it started halfway into a scene. Yes, I, f- well, I had the
0: same feeling watching this. Like uh you remember in RoboCop the fake commercials how they yeah. would just cut into those and you're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, where am I? What's going on?" This sort of feels like the movie, but it doesn't. That I had the yeah. same feeling like this was a fake commercial
1: or like I f- I felt like I was flipping through channels and just stopped on a channel right. way into something that was going on. In fact, I honestly Started the movie, and when it start, and when it started playing, I rewound it because I thought maybe I wasn't paying attention, <laughs> and you missed or like, something, or blacked out because this possibly, this is no way this could possibly be the opening shot of anything. Yeah,
0: and I mean, I feel like cold opens used to be a lot more popular with mm-hmm. filmmakers. Uh, now it's a lot of like just getting right to the the pre-title sequence or the opening credits or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a lot of directors used to just come right out of the gate and i don't know if they were filming that for like what the desired effect was if if they intended it to be like uh well i know this is going to end up on tv or whatever or or what but i'm sure there was some kind of purpose there i'm just not sure exactly sure what it is yeah but i I love it i love it i I love being like lost maybe like scrambling to catch up
1: I will say about pretty much everything in this movie, I'm sure it's there for some sort of reason, but I don't know what it is. Uh, This is a Wes Craven movie and I've probably been pretty vocal in the past about how I kind of think he's a hack. I will say that this movie confirms, still confirms a lot of those thoughts for me, but I will say this too. This is probably without question the Wes Craven movie that I have enjoyed the most.
0: And you've seen uh, Shocker and People Under the Stairs?
1: Okay, I have not seen Shocker. I have not seen that one. I have seen People Under the Stairs. I would definitely say People Under the Stairs is technically, in some respects, a better movie than this one. But I would one hundred percent watch this movie anytime. Yeah, where I go with People Under the Stairs, People Under the Stairs. Here's what I think about a lot of Wes <laughs> Craven <Caribbean> movies. <laughs> I think he often comes up with some good ideas or even if it's not ideas he came up with, he's involved in movies that have, you know, a good premise or a good concept behind them. Uh, But I don't think he has the skill to bring those ideas to the screen.
0: Interesting.
1: Like Nightmare, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, fantastic premise. I don't think it's that great of a movie. I think some of the sequels are much better. People Under the Stairs, another great idea uh it's just an okay movie in my opinion with some great set pieces uh scream great idea not such a great movie in my opinion you know I, I think he's I think he's got there's ele- there's all these elements around his movies that like provide great jumping off points but there's just something that he, he's, just, he's just not capable of it I think he thinks he is way more way deeper of a filmmaker than he is. I think he always thinks he's making something truly profound when he It's usually just kind of like schlock.
0: Oh, I think, yeah, to his, I think that that is something to his credit that he has a much higher aim and intent than a lot of folks do. I know. Mm-hmm. I don't think that comes off his pretense. I think that he's, he's an academic, he's a scholar. And I think that yeah. those are the things he cares about uh, when it comes to making or cared about. Oh, dang, man. That feels bad to talk R. like R. he's still alive, um, but I think well, if, that, we
1: took him, if we got if we got a computer chip and we got and we were able to get a hold of his body, I, honestly, if I, if we did that, <laughs> I don't think maybe. he would
0: want to make movies if he came back. <laughs> I don't think so because I think that he got put into a position, much like John Carpenter, where he didn't necessarily get into film to make horror movies. That's true. Yeah. And but he ended up, you know, hitting on something and tapping a vein and got pigeonholed into that role. And it was just he just wanted to keep working in movies, so he just went along with it.
1: Hmm. Um. I I agree, but you, you know, I mean, he's he is vocal about how he didn't want to do. I mean, I would say even more so than John Carpenter. John Carpenter was like not that he didn't want to do horror movies; he just wanted to do like other stuff too, like westerns. Yes. And, you know, crap like that, John. Wes Craven, he seems almost resentful uh, that he is a horror movie director. Oh, definitely. And like
0: John Carpenter, he never f- functioned well in the studio system. He was always yeah. clashing with producers and and studio people. His his sort of uh, on-again, off-again feud with Bob Shea at New Line is like, pretty well-known and kind of legendary. And so, and he sort of was bullied into making Deadly Friend. Also, it wasn't really the the movie he wanted to make. He wanted to adapt this book and tell sort of a tragic love story and a a thriller, and it ultimately became this thing that was a watered-down, you know, C-grade version of A Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: Well, that's one of the things I do kind of question about. I'm sure we'll get into it more as we go along, talking more about this film. But that thing about yeah you know, him clashing with studios and clashing with Bob Shea and stuff, and in a lot of interviews I've heard him talk, you know, talking about like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is like he's saying, like, "Well, he forced me to put this stupid scene in it, and I didn't want to put it in there, and it's stupid." And that scene that he got, I mean, like uh, some of the scenes he got forced to put in, like the in Nightmare on Elm Street, like the, where she's walking up the stairs and her feet are sinking into the into the carpet like it's like it's like water or something. He was adamantly opposed to that, but lots of his other scenes that he did put in and wanted to put in are just as dumb or dumber. Yeah, like you know? the
0: stretchy arm.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. and and when we we'll get further into this, like about some of the stuff that he was allegedly told he had to put in in Deadly Friend and some of this stuff, um, he was like, "Well, that wasn't my scene. This was my scene." It's like sometimes with certain directors who talk about. Studio interference. At times, it feels like maybe the studio interference was because you were making an incompetent movie, and because I, because the way I look at it is like, did you ever see that uh that Fantastic Four movie that came out uh with uh, about four or five years ago? Uh, Josh Trank. Yeah, that one.
0: Uh, No, I didn't.
1: So that movie had a lot of, like, was the same. Well, let your... me
0: just stop you there because yeah. I just want to make it known right here and now. I have never liked the Fantastic Four as a that... concept and as characters. I have never liked them. I thought they were a relic of the past, and I thought they were always corny and hackneyed. And even as a kid, I was like, who the fuck are these
1: squares? Get those
0: That's... nerds out of here, out of my and comics that... and off my television.
1: And that is legitimate criticism.
0: Yeah, shut them, shut them up. No more fantastic. So, down with Fantastic Four.
1: But in re, yeah, in reference to the concept of like studio interference, like Josh Trank talked about, like he's like, well, they came in and they 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 messed it up and they they added new scenes and they made me shoot this stuff and they took out scenes and it was like I made this movie and it would have been a great movie if I got to make my movie, but regardless of what scenes. That movie is so bad. And regardless of what scenes he shot, didn't shoot, what scenes were added, if any singular scene in that movie was a scene that, that was his, it was never going to be a good movie because everything is absurd and poorly written and stilted and poorly shot. You know, So when you're talking about some of these movies, they go like, well, they made me do all this stuff and I didn't want to do it. It would have been a great movie. Like Sometimes you can see that there was a great movie behind the uh, cuts and edits and reshoots. But sometimes it's like everything from start to finish does exist poorly on its own, you know?
0: Well, I mean, I guess. But how many movies have you made? Tough uh, guy, three. huh? Three. You, 3 You're talking a lot of shit here against a hey, lot of a, very powerful people. I don't know if you want that coming down on your head when you, got you, know. you can't
1: back it up maybe it's like the it's like you know you uh you don't have to you don't have to know how to cook to know that you're eating crap
0: right but if your palate is trash you you wouldn't know a, a tasty cod fillet if it you know slapped you upside the
1: head hey man i've seen at least three <laughs> oscar winning movies that's true you have which well okay actually that's a great thing to uh to note about this movie this movie the screenwriter is an oscar winner oh really yes isn't
0: that hilarious?
1: So it's a it's a Bruce Joel Rubin who won an Oscar for writing Ghost.
0: Oh right, 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 right. And yes. I think
1: this I think this was the movie he wrote to, or at least the movie that was produced directly before Ghost. So he went from this to Ghost to Jacob's Ladder.
0: Which is that's such a wild path because it is sandwiched by two really great movies.
1: Uh huh. And you and Jacob's you Ladder him... is great. If you you, you like that movie, great. right? Okay, good. Yes. If you don't yeah.
0: like that, if if anyone doesn't like Jacob's Ladder, show up to my house. I am going to whack you in the head with a broom, like it's uh, I'm an Italian mother in New York in the 1950s because that movie is incredible.
1: But well, let me clarify. I only like the 2019 direct to video on demand remake of no James you Sider. don't that's I a bit you do you I think you now it, you think
0: you're first you think you're a film director now you think you're a comedian
1: sorry that's
0: sorry. the your ego is out of control <laughs> uh, that's the next that's the next direct to on demand <laughs> movie that's coming out the attack of elliot greeman's 50 foot ego here Dude, it comes to that. destroy the city
1: um no i never saw the remake um, no,
0: it it I looked, barely, it looked uh, the, barely the similarities are end at the name, it seems like yeah, which is unfortunate. I don't I that that's the only time remakes bother me is when they have sort of zero connection other than name value.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like it should have some connection to the original property in some way. And and obviously freshen it up, bring something new to the table, do things differently, but it shouldn't be so far removed that it's just of a, a visible like, well, here's an existing property we can kind of milk, or like right. we couldn't think of anything else to call it.
1: Yeah, or you just put it, you just put the name there because it's like it's, just like, well, we don't want a lawsuit, so we'll buy the rights to this because it's just close enough. Or you're, yeah. Yeah, just trying to you're taking another screenplay and slapping a name on it. Uh yeah,
0: did, didn't that happen with um Escape from Space Jail with uh, Guy Pierce? What the hell is that movie called?
1: Uh movie's called Lockout.
0: Yeah, Lockout. John Carpenter sued the hell out of those yeah. guys cuz uh. he was like, "Oh, I was going to do an Escape from New York sequel that was exactly like that."
1: And then also and I'm pretty it?
0: sure he won and got a fucking yeah. huge payday. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, that's actually what uh, Ghosts of Mars was originally going to be. It was going to be Escape from Mars, and was going to have, it was going to have Snake Pliskin escaping from Mars. I don't know if it would have the same like horror, uh, like alien virus zombies. Yeah. But it was yeah when when uh, Escape from L.A. tanked, they just turned it into a different movie with Ice Cube. You know,
0: history is being very kind to Escape from L.A.
1: Yeah, I think perhaps a little too kind.
0: It's it's now looking more and more like a John Waters film. Yeah, and it's very campy, and still like the basketball scene and the Surfs Up man and all that stuff. But then there's also some really cool images and some really cool action scenes. So I don't know.
1: It it's definitely has some moments that are enjoyable in yeah, a few different ways. There's there's some moments that are enjoyable for its campiness. There are some genuinely like, well, oh, that's a that's pretty good. But collectively, I don't really think, I think, yeah, I think it's one of those movies that just in retrospect, people love it because like, well, it's part of the whole John Carpenter lore, you know, and it's got these characters that I know. Yeah, but it's
0: ultimately, it it comes off as like, um, uh, oh, here's some stuff that an old man thinks is cool.
1: Yeah, or an old man didn't even thought was cool or didn't even have enough energy to investing is like what is that is that a cd player sure throw it in there oh well he probably you know he probably
0: did i love john carpenter but he is famously like half-hearted in his efforts with movies and like he sometimes he really just kind of phones it in and so yeah i feel like he just wrote the screenplay for escape from new york and then you know it took 10 or 15 years to get made and he was like "Ah, i'm not changing anything yeah he he just left it as is and didn't he didn't give a fuck, yeah, but I do oh, totally. there is i know we're off on like a hundred tangents here, but I always get excited when he talks about adapting the video game Dead Space into a movie mm-hmm. because it's like a cross between like um I don't know the thing and event horizon and you know. All, all the best stuff about being in space, like creepy atmosphere, uh, derelict spaceship, like a mysterious like infestation of demon-like creatures, and it's all kinds of cool stuff.
1: I mean, he's definitely a guy that I assume or th- feel like probably has one good movie left in him, you know? Even if he hasn't... I mean, his output for the for the past two decades has been minimal, but even if even if uh even if uh, yeah like well, everything he's put up after then has been he is so lazy and phoned in and just obviously like doing it for as a job for money i feel like he's someone who probably it wouldn't be unforeseen for him to come back and be like i'm going to make one more movie i got the money i'm going to do something good you know yeah but who also who cares if he doesn't like whatever
0: no i mean he he came back for the 2018 halloween as a, what, a consultant or a producer or something and also help composer help write it yeah and do the music yeah. and he was like you know he, he used to be so sick of halloween and all the bullshit and the rob zombie thing he was like okay go do it just give me a big check right yeah but with that he was like okay i can do some stuff i'm making music and I've been touring in this band with my son, and, like, he seemed to get some of his creative, like, zeal back a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And maybe because he didn't have to direct it. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't have to do all the hardest shit. He could, like, contribute and be a part of the process, but he didn't have to, like, sacrifice, uh, I don't know, how long does it take to make a movie these days? Eight
1: months. I mean, yeah, probably depending on what type of movie it is and yeah, from start to finish in terms of editing and yeah. whatnot. Probably not, not not in terms of shooting most movies, but yeah.
0: Anyways, let's circle back here. Yes, we've we've gone, get back we're on gone track. to we're losing the plot here, but uh yeah. Deadly Friend the opening, we get our first glimpse at RoboVision. What does it look like for BB BB we eventually find out that the name of the robot is BB. Does it stand for anything? I can't remember.
1: They never. I don't think they ever say it's just BB, bot bot, bot bot
0: bot bot, yeah. bot the robot, which looks similar to Johnny Five from the Short Circuit series.
1: A more, a more smoother, colorful, colorful Johnny. Yeah,
0: Five. like a toy version with like some yellow. Also crossed with like a taxi cab. Do you remember? Yeah, it's remember ve- taxi cabs. I mean, we still have those, but I don't know if everyone really pays attention. The Specific, yeah, yellow, yellow uh, cabs, yellow, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it looks very much like that. Also, what's it's uh, the voice of this robot,
0: it sounds like uh, it, uh, Mohawk the Gremlin from Gremlins. That's what I was gonna say. It sounds exactly. like exactly,
1: it sounds like a cross between a Gremlin and a Jawa,
0: yeah, yeah, it's almost spot on, Ro- like side the, by side.
1: When it's when, it, when the robot is angry, it sounds like uh the gremlin and when it's excited and happy, it sounds like a jawa. Yeah. It's, it was, like I said, I saw this movie probably when I was like seven or eight. So around 30 years ago, maybe nine, nine years old. And I don't, I did not remember many of these details. And the, the moment that thing started talking, I was just like, excuse me, come, come again. <laughs> and it feels like a kid's
0: movie. Like it feels like this would fit in perfectly with ET and Mac and me. And, uh batteries not included and all of that stuff and we even get like the the opening has this charm where it feels like karate kid or poltergeist or like an amblin movie it's like this sentimental piano music as they're like driving into town and it's like oh they're uh they're new in town and didn't haven't gotten to know anybody and they're getting a fresh start and everything's going to be fine. And then it's all nothing but hope for the future. I felt like I, I was like getting really into it at the beginning after I, like you, I haven't seen this in a very long time, but uh, I'm obviously a different person than I was when I was a kid. And I was like, well, this movie has like a lot of sentiment and like some heart to it. And like, I can't wait to, to go on this journey and see where my central pro tag goes. And unfortunately, he turns into a mad scientist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he meets that right away. He meets, uh, he's just cruising around the neighborhood with his, his robot, just begging for attention. And uh, <laughs> my favorite stunt in just about any movie is when the this paper boy rolls up oh on the God. sidewalk and takes a, a nosedive face first into the ground like a lawn dart. I, s- I swear he fractured his spinal cord on that on that fall.
1: Oh, what? Well, if I look at my notes, it, it just says "paper boy" and then there's like five exclamation points, and then <laughs> "fall" and another five exclamation points. <laughs> this paper boy, who once again is like. 50 years old. and
0: The first thing he says, the first thing Albert says is, do you know anything about artificial intelligence? (laughs) And the kid's just like,
1: (laughs) he's riding his bicycle at approximately two miles an hour. So not even, he's not going fast and he sees a robot and he's so perplexed by this robot that he loses complete control of his incredibly slow bicycle. Yes. Hits a curb and does like this incredible flip over it. Yeah. Uh, and it's,
0: he, it's, he should have died. Anybody immediately gets up because this was 1986 when robots were so mesmerizing that you could recover from any injury instantly just to just to meet it.
1: But he's going so slow. It's like it reminds me of, you know, you're you're in like junior high or and you're making like a movie with a VHS recorder with your friends and you, you want to make a a crash, bicycle crash scene, but you don't actually want to crash your bike because you don't want to hurt yourself. So you ride it as slow as possible and then pretend to fall over. That's what I thought I was watching. I was just like, how, how can anyone crash at this speed? And how can anyone, even if they hit a curb, how could they, at this speed, how could they be hurled this far? Well, and it was also so impossibly
0: slow that there's no way that he would be able to complete his paper route in a day let alone a week he would well, that's be, why he, he'd be delivering like three papers a day
1: that's why he's so old
0: yeah he's just he's, <laughs> he's just been aging. on the same
1: he's been on the same route, route to delivering the same uh, daily edition for the past 20 years. oh yeah this,
0: this town is cursed it's cursed um we, we get a glimpse though right away that uh somehow uh, this robot has developed a level of pettiness that is off the scale it's like programmed for revenge and resentment of the people around it because it constantly zooms around like making grunting and like dissatisfied noises every time it either meets someone new or sees something going on in town
1: yeah it's clearly jealous of uh albert saying hello to another boy yeah it's just like excuse me Uh, i'm a robot over here
0: When he's also, you know, Albert explains right away that this robot is artificial intelligence. So he programmed its baseline functions, but it's learning independently at a geometric rate, not unlike our favorite uh, artificial intelligence, Skynet.
1: Correct. And he's got
0: military-grade weaponry on it, like stainless steel claws that can exhibit like untold amounts of pressure and exact violence on just about anyone around him at the drop of a hat
1: let's talk about that because why if you're if you're if you're a young brilliant uh 12 year old scientist like albert and you're trying to make the world's greatest artificial intelligence why do you make it also such an incredible weapon and i was reading so a large portion of the film's budget went into making the went into basketballs and basketballs. Just dozens and dozens of <laughs> basketballs. Uh, well, we'll get to that. But went into the robot, and that the robot could actually lift 750 pounds. That was entirely unnecessary. Who is
0: responsible for that?
1: Wes Craven. He was just like, make this the Yeah, you know, Wes, this. Wes
0: was like, ah, yeah, let's get a real robot in and there. And
1: then if you watch, and then, and then you compare that to any other special effect in the movie, which are just so cheap. And, uh, yeah, the, like, the makeup together. on
0: Samantha looks like someone's mom did it.
1: Yeah, it's just basically like we were doing that uh, the, the, when he's like when he first gets to the new school and he's helping out the doctor and they're looking at a, a cadaver's brain and it literally just looks like a cardboard cutout of a drawing of a brain taped to the back of somebody's head. It's boggling how cheap the movie looks and then you have, or at least. You know the effects look and then you have this incredibly elaborate robot that can do things that no set prop from robot needs to do because it, one not only does it need to lift anything 750 pounds in actuality because you could just uh do that with props he never the robot never even lists anything that's supposed to be 750 pounds the so budget something- the
0: budget was 11 million dollars
1: are you fucking kidding me? What
0: if this was like a, a front for like a military defense project? Like they literally were just like, uh, Hey, go make this movie. Cause we want to prototype this robot.
1: Oh God. Like this is, it's Uh, they tried to get Stanley Kubrick. They're like, you did great work with uh, the, the moon landing. Yeah. And he was like, you no, know, I'll pass. Pass. <laughs> like, well, okay. We couldn't get Kubrick. Who's next on our list? Like ask that Wes Craven, Wes Craven,
0: can... Craven. will do it. <laughs> He's going through, he was like going through, uh, his marriage was falling apart, and he was getting sued by someone who thought that he ripped off uh, Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street. Street. And it was for like some ungodly amount, like $30 million or something. (laughs) And uh, apparently New Line was not going to bat for him. They were just like leaving him to just kind of deal with it himself. And so he was like, he was in a really bad spot during this movie, so... I feel like, you know, depending on how that timeline looks, I feel like he just uh, went along with it. He's like, ah, yeah, whatever. Just talk to
1: my agent. Maybe uh, New Line weren't getting behind him because they were like, well, this was a – Nightmare on Elm Street was a great idea for a movie. But we've talked to Wes Craven, and there's no idea way he came up with that idea on his own. So he probably did steal this. We're just going to back out of here and let and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. I yeah, wonder see? what the
0: perception of Craven was because he was like everyone had that impression of him he was like this clean cut sort of Ralph Lauren polo vest wearing guy, you know, it's very soft spoken, intelligent and mm-hmm. well read and whatever and they're like how the hell did he cook up this bullshit yeah. with the dream demon. Well, and you know there's that famous interview uh of him telling the story of how he he read a newspaper about uh, this kid in like uh, Sri Lanka or something who was afraid to go to sleep because uh, he thought he was going to die. And he hid like a coffee machine in his closet. And one day he just like, he hadn't slept for like a week and he screamed and then they found him. He just dropped dead or something like that. And they thought he died in his sleep. And he was like, Hmm.
1: Well, that's just sad.
0: Yeah. Pretty terrifying stuff. But. um, And that's the end of that. uh, That
1: that was uh, was it. That's the show, guys. Yep. Rest
0: in peace to this show.
1: (laughs) Um, Anyway, back to Deadly Friend. No more uh, getting away from Sri Lankan boys who can't sleep. Um, Where were we at?
0: Uh, We were still talking about the um, the, uh, uh, paper boy.
1: Oh, yeah, the paper boy. Well, so after that, shortly after that scene, there's a scene where they, the paper boy, Albert, and BB encounter some bullies. Yeah, and an entire
0: biker gang just shows up gang, apropos yeah. of nothing, as if once the a, suburbs are just a stop along their route to get to.
1: And, and once again, this is where it's not clear how old these kids are supposed to be because these are their classmates. Their their personalities are those of 12-year-olds, like sophomores in high school at best, but they show up riding on like full-on Harleys and stuff.
0: And they look like they're in their mid-30s, like hardened bikers.
1: And they start fucking with the robot. And that's when you have one of the best exchanges in cinema history is the head bully he starts poking the robot, and Albert's like, Don't poke the robot, you're gonna make it mad. And then the head boy looks over at his uh, minions and says, Does anyone have a can opener? And one of the other kids reaches into his pocket and pulls out a can opener and hands it to him. Now, what
0: kind of can opener is it?
1: It is, a, it's, is like it a, like it's it's the
0: old timey one uh, that just like punches the little triangle yes. in there so you can pour milk out, or is it the kind where you would go around the rim of the can?
1: I think it's the one where you punch so you can get the milk out. But that is regardless of the point because who are these kids? I mean, like, it would be one thing if it was a bottle opener. I was like, yeah, I'm going to steal my dad's beers and open a bottle. But who's walking around with can openers? Are these, uh, is this a group of, of uh, junior high bullies who also happen to be train track hopping hobos? Oh I mean, yeah like, that's that's what you're going to use open up a can of beans and roast it in its own can That's what they do
0: where on their they're on their biker road trips they got their <laughs> they don't have hobo bindles they have biker bindles and there's it's beer it's beans and it's uh booby magazines that's what's in their 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 biker bindle kit
1: The only appropriate response in real life if you're in an in the streets of the suburb of a suburban neighborhood and someone asks you do you have a can opener the only appropriate response is no or why on earth would i have a can opener on me right now that's right to respond with yes and pull one out of your pocket and not even out of like your backpack because me like i love to be prepared like no just out of your pocket because you use it on such high frequency uh, what is going on
0: or maybe they are some kind of like robot hit squad Like, they're they're a reaction against the rise of robots in the 1980s, and all they do is go around popping the tops off of unsuspecting robots to prevent what would eventually become the rise of the Terminators.
1: Well, if that were the case, he should be much more prepared for robot penis attacks than he clearly was. Because as soon as he starts poking at the robot with a can opener, uh, BB grabs his penis and crushes it, beneath his metal claws.
0: I love that as a follow up, like right out of the jump we're introduced to this robot as a vicious killer when it prevents <laughs> yeah. when it prevents the carjacking, right? And then they try to play it off of like, oh that's our BB just getting into some hijinks. Yeah. Isn't that silly?
1: And not, and not like, not obviously like. Maybe I should like some install some safety protocols into this thing. I'll do it later. I'm really busy. No,
0: and that's where you have a kid genius who has like he might have what he thinks is a moral compass, but he's not mature enough to see sort of beyond what's in front of him, and so he right. creates this monster, and it just starts running
1: amok. So this is the exact point. The last note I wrote was about the can opener. And then I, that's where I stopped writing. Then
0: you just started and, watching the movie.
1: Watching it until, until uh, towards the end and there was something that happened. I was like, I got I to gotta jot this down so I don't forget because it was a minor thing. that would be easy to forget. But that's where, I, that's where I was just like, okay, I give up. Just like let it, let it, let it roll.
0: Which is too bad because now that we're done focusing on uh, BB the robot and young genius Albert, it's time to meet Christy Swanson, a.k.a.
1: I can't remember her name. Hold on. We could just call her Christy. Hold on. <laughs> uh,
0: Samantha. It's Samantha. Samantha Obviously, okay. it's Samantha. It's the uh, 1980s. Of course, it's Samantha. Uh,
1: okay.
0: but Yeah, Samantha shows up. Do you remember, though? I can't exactly remember if... Uh, what happens first? She goes over to um does she get the bloody nose first like apropos of nothing or does she go over to their house first and then the dad uh, is kind of mad about it
1: I think she goes over to the house like she's like uh, Albert's walking down the street with his robot. she goes, what's that?" And he goes like, oh it's a robot that's what I used to pick up chicks
0: That's right, and, that's right
1: and he's like, do you want to come over to my house you know for milk and cookies?" And she goes over there and then the dad goes like, Where's my daughter? Yeah. Runs outside and like bursts into their house and is like, Get back to my place and they're like, That's weird And then later, the next scene is when she comes and has like a bruise on her arm or a bloody nose or something, you find out the dad's well, smacking her around. That's the thing is like they
0: they set up the bruise later. But like, there's that point where she runs in with the bloody nose just out of nowhere. It's another one of those weird cuts where all of a sudden mm-hmm. she's just like, "Hey, do you guys have any ice?" Right. But in every other, uh, and we'll we'll meet the dad. But in every other sort of uh, abuse situation, she is visibly upset and shaken. But in this bloody nose situation. She is perfectly calm. She's not crying. She's not teared yeah. up. There's no uh, sort of trauma to the nose. It's literally just a bloody nose. And she says as much. She says, oh, I just get these sometimes. It's fine. Right. I just need some ice. And she's totally calm and not shaken or excited in any way. And the mom is just like, mm.
1: which would Which would work narratively if she continued to try and, like, being well, like, that, com- that should have been the cool and-
0: the first incident,
1: right? Right, exactly. You know, like, she's, like, obviously trying to cover it up, but then every other time we just see her being, like, incredibly, like, distraught and open about it.
0: Yeah, she's visibly being abused and acting like an abused person. But here in the bloody nose scene, she's perfectly fine, leading me to believe that it's just a bloody nose. Right, yeah. And that they're just throwing scenes of, like, mundane um, problems rising. Just to yeah. fill the runtime of the movie, or,
1: or if that was like something like like we'll throw in the scene of her when she's still like totally human with a bloody no- nose, and then later on when she's a robot, that'll cause a problem that she gets these bloody noses, and that's why her short she starts a short circuit or something, right? But they but they forgot to film that scene or yeah. something, and they're like they're like oh crap, and like should we cut out this other scene from before? like no we can't because that also has this other plot point, so this won't make sense, you know yeah. just giving this, this this uh. This uh, this damned if you do uh, thing. Did you ever see the that Michael Fassbender movie that came out a couple years ago, The Snowman?
0: Oh, no. I heard so some like, things about it.
1: It's famously bad, and it's really bad. And basically, they didn't shoot 25% of the screenplay because they ran out of time and money. So there's all these loose ends that never get tied up because they couldn't cut those scenes out because for them to have anything resembling a plot. Oh, they, they had, had to, to f- just there.
0: cram everything in.
1: They had to, they had to keep them in there because it's, you know, there's a scene that set up two things, but they only ever got to one of the things, you know? So it's just it's like this complete madhouse of, uh, unanswered, unanswered plot points that just seemed to pop up for no reason at all.
0: I mean, I wouldn't call this bloody nose a plot point, but it really stood out to me because she was so calm and cool. I believed every word she had to say
1: right it's very it's very bizarre and in tone and presentation in terms of the rest of the movie
0: but uh during the dinner scene we do meet the dad who is i mean he's a jerk but in that that initial scene he doesn't seem unhinged he just sees seems a little uncomfortable like maybe he's not ready for his little girl to grow up yet and start hanging around boys and start dating
1: I don't know. I got kind of like creeper vibes from right out of the gates. Or maybe he's just embarrassed that they're poor. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe he's embarrassed that he's probably only like three or four years older than the actors playing the kids, and maybe he went out for Albert, uh, and he was just like, "Why can't I be the robot uh, master?"
0: I think so. I think he. I think you're right. I think he wanted to be the robot master.
1: Now that's a movie I've watched. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know. It's uh yeah, so he's this big creepy dude, uh smacks her around, which will play into ultimately where he He's got the bug eyes. The bug eyes. Did they do they set up
0: why? Uh Did they set up why her mom's not around? I th- I think he sort of hints at it, like she just left.
1: I you know, I don't remember. I don't I think it was like so Watched, like brief that it was just like, oh, she passed away or she left when I was a little kid. It's yeah, I never think there's really... a
0: throwaway line where he says that she left or something.
1: It's not a major... It, the reason why she's not there or her lack of presence is not really important other than the fact yeah. that, you know, they just have to like, get it out of the way. It's never something where she goes like, oh, I really loved my mom, you know, and now I, I used to be so happy when I was a kid and now I'm just stuck here with my evil dad. Like, there's no conversation like that that happens or anything. There's no... There's nothing deeper than other than she's gone.
0: Yeah. Well, so one of the pivotal scenes in their relationship is actually um, a scene where... Uh, you think the dad is is drunk and comes into Samantha's room at night, and he's all like covered in like a layer of sweat and looks disgusting. He looks like yeah. a, he looks like a worm. Like you look like you feel like something in.
1: real skeezy is gonna
0: happen. Yeah, he's kind of get about to get in her bed, and he's kind of touching her, and it's very creepy. But to her credit, she is is not gonna go down without a fight. So she breaks a flower vase, like a sort of penis shaped flower vase and then stabs it into his chest
1: and uh
0: (laughs) but it (laughs) sort of turns into like a like a faucet
1: on the fritz it's just like blood like randomly spurting out yeah and he's laughing
0: like he's freddy krueger
1: yeah, and it's, yeah, it's a very, it, in surprise, it's a dream sequence. Yep,
0: and apparently this was a studio-demanded scene. So this was when they were like, ah, come on, Wes, we all want to get some of that old Elm Street magic in this one. <laughs> well, Which, and also it's a kind s- of a good, unsettling scene, but...
1: There was, a, so, what I heard was, uh, in or I read, like, a, a section of an interview with Wes Craven... They that was like the first... like Because of the extra scenes shot, that was the first one. And it wasn't even necessarily an ex, extra scene. They didn't shoot it after the movie was completed. They just no. decided to insert that while currently filming because they're like, can we jazz up this? And when they showed the movie to a test audience, which, I mean, granted, test audiences are not necessarily the most reliable source of information when uh, determining how you should edit your movie. But... When they showed it to a test audience, that was the only scene that the test audiences responded positively to. Wow. <laughs> they were just like, what's this bullshit? Like, oh, that was kind of scary. Like, yeah, that, I, that, I got excited at that scene. I was, this is creepy. And the rest of it, I was just bored to tears. So that's that's when they made the, the full-on decision. It was like, you got to put some more horror scenes in this. Yeah, apparently. Or at least, ja- or at least jazz up the currently existing horror scenes.
0: Yeah, because, you know the poet that is Wes Craven he wanted to make a movie that was about you know these kids falling in love and loss he wanted to make Wes Craven's My Girl essentially where uh you know but with a a robot i don't know maybe he didn't want the robot in it but but he wanted to make a a, a coming of age type you know dealing with death story like that and he was mm-hmm. aiming like we talked about he was aiming a little higher and unfortunately didn't even come close
1: well let's also be clear when we talk about the the studio demands and edits it's not like he was making a completely grounded in reality movie and they they came in and said like you got to turn this into a sci-fi horror movie he was making a sci-fi horror movie they just asked him to amp up yeah the horror you know after after you know turn it from like a pg-13 movie into an r-rated movie right um yeah so there's that dream sequence there's a bunch of other then then it's just kind of a bunch of uh, stuff where like the kids are becoming friends and we see the dad like milling about getting drunk and then we also meet the evil next-door neighbor
0: yeah he seemingly has no job but um the the yeah the introduction of the the mean neighbor lady is tremendous they are playing the fakest looking pickup basketball game
1: oh my god it's absurd and then they get the robot to play.
0: Yeah, and it's just sort of uh uh sort of wheeling back and forth uh like pivoting on a single point which is Because
1: this robot, you know, to get a little bit more into its design. It's on like tracks like a tank. Yes. And, and it has arms that can do two things which are choke and crush penises. <laughs> yeah, it's They bl- have design. no dexterity. They're just claw hands, no dexterity. They're not designed at all for articulation or grasping a basketball anything that's not the size of a neck or penis is too big for it to hold nope it could not
0: possibly play a proper game of basketball and these plays that these kids aren't even dribbling the the paper Mm -hmm. boy is dribbling no one else is and they're all sort of just dancing back and forth and flailing around and as if they had never seen anyone else play basketball before
1: yeah it would be yeah basically like what's this game uh i saw a clip of it on the news once i don't really remember it i was drunk when i was watching it at yeah. 12 or it's so. almost
0: like uh it's like albert looked up basketball in the, the right. encyclopedia <laughs> did, did <you> and <laughs> yeah. based on his reading he coached them on how to how right. to do it
1: but but there was also a coffee stain on, in the entry so we couldn't read everything about it. yeah he there was a get... <laughs>
0: big piece just blacked out
1: He's just like he's like okay, I think I got the gist of it.
0: Yeah, we can. He can fill in the gaps, and he was for the first time in his his short life, he was wrong.
1: Mm -hmm. So the robot, using its incredible strength, that can lift a seven hundred and fifty pound weight, throws the ball with such power that uh, it goes into the neighbor's yard. And keep in mind, the robot being able to throw a ball with with power, a basketball with power, is going to come up again later.
0: The funny thing too is that history has proven almost everyone in this movie right and I would say also anyone who is ever fearful of a robot. So like uh uh Polly in uh, Rocky Four and similar characters, because she comes out with uh a massive shotgun to or wait, that's a different scene, but She sees the robot after stealing the basketball in this scene, right? She steals the Mm -hmm. basketball in this scene. But later on, she comes out when she sees the robot standing in her driveway with a shotgun ready to blow its head off. And the the heads of the children
1: as well. Yeah. Yeah. She's a complete psychopath. And it's played by, uh, wait, did you already mention this? No, right? No. It's played by uh, Ann Ramsey who is you might know as the criminal mom from Goonies or mama the, from the, Throw Mama from the yeah, Train. The, the title Mama, the, the old raspy voiced yeah. gargoyle. Uh, so she she's doing she's doing her her uh, pretty typical typical role here where she's just a cranky, Mean old lady. <laughs> mean old lady who ha- isn't above homicide.
0: No, not at all. She would skin those kids and hang them on
1: her wall. So right right in line with all of her other classic roles. Uh and yeah so that's 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 a really uh traumatic scene it's Halloween night she blows uh BB like basically Albert's best friend to bits his life's work his of all of his ten twelve years of uh, uh, being on this planet and they salvage the, yeah the thing
0: the... that got him a a full ride scholarship and a teaching position at this. This incredible technical. This kid's on the fast track to, yeah, Yale and and, uh, uh, I don't know, what's that other, uh, Oxford, Harvard te- technical school up in the Northeast. I don't know.
1: Uh, whatever. It doesn't it doesn't matter? Yeah, it this guy. Matter.
0: This guy's going places. NASA, defense contracts, right. uh, Black bag operations.
1: He's going to be in it. I, I'm not convinced that he that, that that we haven't seen this character again just under a different assumed name because he had to change his identity.
0: Uh, yeah, we have uh, Doctor Doom. <laughs>
1: Bingo, right there. That's who <laughs> he grows it comes into like, because it, come, it comes fault right back to <laughs> Fantastic Four.
0: Yeah, following the death of his robot and subsequently his lady friend, you know, his first true love, uh, he absolutely snaps.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. He's, he's a, his robot is destroyed essentially. There's some computer chips that still work, but as a as a as a operating robot, it's it's toast. You if know,
0: anything, it's... though, you know, before we get to too too far ahead, if anything, the the portrayal of BB the robot as this revenge-seeking uh, psychopath is always omnipresent because every time he meets someone that he doesn't like, he's reacting, and you can see him sort of clocking it and and recording it and storing that for later, right? And that eventually pays off in the climax during the the rampage, but um, when he meets the father, uh, he's recording and reacting and making all kinds of awful sounds and and Mm -hmm. weird, gross comments. And then when the uh, old lady steals the basketball, uh, in their first meeting, he really does not like her, and so you can tell well, he's he's storing all of that uh, hatred for later.
1: Well, on that night where BB is killed on Halloween night, the kids are uh, just out trick or treating, I guess, um, and would, it would have decide... been a
0: perfect opportunity for BB to wear a hilarious costume.
1: Why was he not wearing at least like a cowboy hat or something?
0: Yeah, something or. Um... You know, maybe like a yellow light on top of his head to make him look like construction equipment, or mm-hmm. some bat wings and like some fangs, like a Dracula yeah, like a, cape. Yeah,
1: like a Dracula cape. Yeah, would yeah. be great. Or just wrap. I mean, he's already ha- has a head that's shaped like a mummy's. So like they just wrap him up. Yeah, in just advantages. toilet Anything. paper.
0: Hilariously, you yeah. tossed about him.
1: Yeah, but like when he when the, he gets like blown away by the robot by uh, Anne Ramsey, he unilaterally on his own, just like, I'm going to break down this woman's fence and go get the basketball. And Albert's yelling, BB, come back. And he's like, BB won't listen. He's defying me. He's operating on his own. Mm -hmm. When she shoots him with the shotgun, honestly, we're talking about how crazy she is. And of course, she's not without her own transgressions. We already know that. But there's a murderous robot with the power to crush a thousand penises coming straight for her.
0: It's a war for survival.
1: Yeah, she'd be a fool not to shoot that thing twice with a double barrel shotgun, reload, and then shoot again.
0: Yeah, and then, so, and then salt the earth where it dies.
1: Yeah, it's clearly a matter of... Oops.
0: Yeah, she's, she's an awful human being, but she is 100% in the right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Unequivocally. Absolutely. So he, he lo- but Balbert loses BB, and then shortly after that, he, after that crushing blow... The thing that pushes them over the edge into complete mad scientist level is the coma that Samantha is put in by her abusive father.
0: She goes over to Albert's house for an incredible Thanksgiving dinner.
1: Oh, my God. It looked fantastic. Purely, purely a culinary delight.
0: Yeah, an incredible dinner uh, crafted by... Albert's mother, and they've sort of adopted. That's the weird part is they've sort of allowed Samantha into their family. And uh, to the mom, she's becoming like a daughter. But to Albert, he's becoming or she's becoming like, you know, his love interest rather than his sister.
1: It's a a weird dynamic. Yeah. It's a weird, weird dynamic.
0: But the dad is tired of being alone on the holidays, uh, drinking alone. He's sick of it.
1: And when she gets back, he's a little bit upset, and he pushes her down some stairs.
0: It's actually a really good suspenseful moment where she's walking around the house calling his name.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's it. That's the. That's it. That's, that's the it. extent <laughs> of my opinion on that one. <laughs> <laughs> there was one good scene in this movie. That
1: was it. Well, yeah. Uh, I don't even really remember the buildup. I just remember her falling down the stairs. Honestly, so
0: yeah, he really like lays her out.
1: And then he's like, "Oh no, what have I done?" But he doesn't also really care.
0: Yeah, he's like, "Hey, you s- sissy, get the get up. You're faking it's, it after you wa- fell down fifteen stairs." And he like... doesn't.
1: It's not like he wanted to kill her uh, or send her into a brain dead coma but he also doesn't feel bad about it. He's just kind of worried about getting busted.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like people who do that are, it's like, what? Okay. You expected this, this thing to just keep on living after you, you know, you beat it up so many times. It's it's not even,
1: it's not, it's not even a matter of like, oh my God, what have I done? It's just like, Oh shit!
0: No, but you know? he like expected her to keep on surviving so yeah. that he could do it again. It's like when yeah. when a, a someone squeezes a a hamster and then it's you know it dies and they're like, right. oh, What the hell?
1: Right, exactly.
0: But yeah, then so, he makes up a. Uh, that's when we get the. He makes up the story for the paramedics of oh that damn kid. I told her to clean up her her stuff. She tripped and fell down the stairs. But man. Everybody know. else knows the truth
1: and that's where this is where things really kick into high gear though this is where we get the movie turns into a heist movie it turns into a mad science movie. it turns into a revenge movie all in one in the span oh it also turns into a drug your mom and hope you don't kill her uh scene
0: oh yeah yeah the the drugging <laughs> the mom the drugging of the mom is really what kicks off albert's. Arc into super villain territory,
1: right? Because he devises this plan. He knows that she's she's still alive, clinically, still alive. She's just her brain waves are put, she's on life support. Yes, they're this, like,
0: debating whether to pull the plug or not. The doctors right. want to wait because obviously they have an obligation and duty, and then the dad is just like, Yeah, you, you pull the plug, fuck it. Yeah,
1: so. Albert, he devises this plan. He he has this idea, this brilliant idea from his his, uh, science mind that if he takes a computer chip from BB's brain and just rams it inside of her skull, she'll be fine.
0: Yeah, just plug it in. Which is weird because this idea that uh, BB is already an artificial intelligence, it's not nanotechnology, which would sort of augment and heal... This is an, a an entirely separate personality, so it right. wouldn't theoretically. It wouldn't bring Samantha back. It would just inhabit her body. So then he yeah. could make out with this robot. That's gross and weird, dude.
1: Well, that I guess he's just kind of. I mean, he's kind of spitballing here, but he's just like maybe he says maybe something like maybe it'll kickstart her brain back into action. Yeah, and you you you, know? you
0: see right away that he is not prepared for these moral conundrums and like these complex outcomes he is a genius on a technical level but he knows nothing of cause and effect
1: well i mean he also goes straight to when in terms his terms of of plans to do this go straight to the worst most immoral ways of accomplishing it he could go to the scientists and be like hey you know how i'm a genius uh, and I built all these robots that no one can fathom, and I also do all this other stuff with brains, and I've reanimated uh, tissue in the past, because that's another thing that happens earlier in the movie. He could go do that. He, The reason why he drugs his mom is to borrow her car and doesn't want to lie to her or tell her why he's borrowing the car, which is to kidnap a corpse.
0: He's a genius, and he can't think of a good enough lie.
1: He, All he really had to do... Was uh, tell his mom he was spending the night at someone else's house rather than telling them he was having someone spend the night at his house, and then drug his mom with a potentially lethal uh, sleeping concoction. Yeah,
0: he's like, I can't, I can't think of a good of a good cover story or a elaborate enough sort of heist. I am just gonna pour horse tranquilizers into my mom's coffee or also- wine.
1: The way he mixes those uh, horse tranquilizers into the (laughs) coffee is he just kind of like floats it on top and then pokes it with his finger. He doesn't take a spoon, which would be the obvious thing to do. And then he doesn't successfully get all the thing dissolved because he's just jabbing it with his fucking (laughs) pointer finger and he's hoping that the mom does not notice that there's fucking horse tranquilizer floating on top of her coffee.
0: Yeah, it's probably all gooped up and weird looking and she's just, I think she was just ready. I think that she's been a strong enough woman and a really good mom for a long time. She was like, I'm going to turn a blind eye to whatever he's doing because he's my lovely wonderful genius boy and if he wants to put me to sleep i'm gonna just take a nice long rest and i'll pretend
1: like i i'll pretend like i don't realize what's obviously going on Yeah, when
0: i wake up i will deal with this but for now it's mom's time to have a nap
1: yeah Ah, uh, and then then and after she's asleep they go and kidnap a corpse and uh uh ram a computer chip in her brain
0: Well, they hide her body in the shed. And man, during this whole process, the paper boy is just, he knows something's wrong. He doesn't like any of this one bit. He doesn't think it's going to work. And he also thinks it's gross and weird because, you know, dead bodies are gross and weird and fucking around with corpses and trying to reanimate them is not usually how things are done. And then the first thing they do is
1: they hide her in the shed. Right. Right. Also, I think once she's once she's once she wakes up, I think you can kind of admit to what you did right there. You're like, "Hey, look, she's alive. I did it." Yeah. You don't have to pretend anymore. You know, you could be like, they could say like, "Son, you know that breaking into a hospital and, and uh, kidnapping a body is a serious offense." Yes, that is true. But I did bring it back to life, so <laughs>
0: give me a medal. Of,
1: I think I think this kind of watches each other out and like, yeah, these kids got a point. Kids but then point when there. she
0: comes back, she is not.
1: Anything. Well, this well, the suggestion is, and this is where it's kind of interesting. The suggestion is, it's not that his initial idea of ramming a, like a broken computer part in her head is a bad idea, because remember the life support gets pulled a minute early because his normal his initial plan is to sneak in, cause a power outage, while they're trying to fix the power outage, wheel her body out with the life support systems that are on backup power. And everything will be fine. But the, she gets pulled from life support like two minutes early, so she's then she's not just brain dead anymore. She's dead, dead, and that was the problem. They they shoved the robot the robot pieces into a dead, dead person, not just a uh, uh, a brain dead person. Like if he had been able to pull that off, his plan would have been fine. So the plan was it wasn't him and his demonic ideas. It was the doctors who made the mistake.
0: I love that this, this thread of the story informs reanimator. And then also sounds eerily similar to that episode of Seinfeld where George is trying to save his high score on the frogger machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, fr- that frogger machine is George Costanza's deadly friend.
1: Yeah. Good
0: Lord. And it has essentially the same ending. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah so they have her in this and this is where the movie gets I I love the bit
0: though when the the mom starts she's kind of on to them she's like something's going on here and then Mm -hmm. she completely pumps the brakes and is like why the hell is your sleeping bag sitting out here in the dirt
1: (laughs) right (laughs)
0: She's like, "Why is did I buy you this $700 sleeping bag from Columbia Sportswear and you're just rolling around out here in the mud with it? Like you should go, res- you should respect yeah, your re- mother and and what she buys you."
1: And the response is, <laughs> "I'm testing it out." And then she says something like, well, when you're a famous scientist and can buy your own sleeping bags, then you can use them for sleeping outside, which is what a sleeping bag is for anyway. Yeah. She's upset that this outdoor gear is outdoors.
0: Yeah. She's definitely still reeling from the effects of being drugged because she's confused.
1: I, well, she's probably addicted to horse tranquilizers at this point, And she hasn't gotten her fix yet. So she's a little edgy. You know? Yeah.
0: Oh, right. You're right. Uh, Sidebar for a second. Yeah. Uh, when I wrote... I wrote a note about sleeping bag outrage because I thought that scene was super funny. But then I wrote, comma, porch gag. Porch gag. Did they do like a gag where they were like he was distracting the mom while they sneak her yes. past or something like no, that? No, no, like no. A- no.
1: <laughs> she's like... She's in the kitchen talking to the mom and like the... uh Samantha comes up and is like looking in the window and he's trying to be like... <laughs> <laughs> shoo her away and the mom's like what are you doing he's like i'm just dancing or something i mean, it's not that that's either, he doesn't say that line but it's something to that effect
0: i wonder uh, if there's one of those um uh deadly friend as like an 80s sitcom with like oh my god like goofy like growing like, pains music and stuff yeah, like, and like that laugh
1: tracks added in because what, god it's it's so that's exactly what this movie is and it looks and,
0: like a tv show
1: yeah, and that's where I'm saying where, where uh, Wes Craven taking himself so seriously. I mean, that's what does make this movie somewhat kind of uh, I don't want to say magical, but like gives it its charm is the fact that it's being taken way too seriously than it has any right to be. Well, it's baffling, like because you look at
0: on paper the people that are involved, and then you look at the end product, and it's like, what did they do? It like yeah. it doesn't even seem like any of these people like had a hand in making this movie because even like Wes Craven's made some movies that like look like garbage because they were low budget and whatever, but he's made other movies that look like a million bucks. You know what I mean? So he's had people on his team that can, they can shoot and light and make a movie, but this just looks like it was made for TV.
1: The, the I will say the lighting in this, in this movie, like the cinematography, cinematography lighting itself at times is much better than I would anticipate it to be at times. I'm like, this actually looks like a legit movie. If you took a still frame, you
0: know? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely.
1: But there's only so much you can do around that. Like the, the obviously not like set up well shots, you know, the poorly, the poorly framed and like, uh,
0: Well and everything is so bland, it's very yeah. much like there's just nothing to look at. And, The the robot's already dead at this point in the movie. mm -hmm. So then all we have is Christy Swanson wearing this awkward-ass makeup that she doesn't really look dead. She just looks like someone wearing makeup.
1: And this is also where I think uh, Wes Craven's criticisms of studio interference really come into question because he talks about all the things that he made him do and he talks about these individual scenes. But when when she when Christy Swanson comes back to life, and like you said, she has this tr- atrocious dead girl makeup, but also she now clasps her hands in the shape of Bebe's claws. Yes. Yeah, she sticks her fingers together and she has like these, like she, it looks like a... Lobster claws. Lobster claws. And that is omnipresent from the moment she's uh, uh, reanimated. To the end. So it's not like they threw in some scenes where she was forced to do that. Wes Craven said, do that with your hands and just ran with it for she, the entire, She was, of the movie.
0: She was taught those movements by a professional mime artist named Richmond Okay. Oh. And here, here's a quote Wait, from is her. Wait, this, is this true? Yeah, here's a quote from her. Getting those moves down was difficult at first. You don't think walking that way is hard until you actually try doing it. But Richmond was a good teacher, and I picked up on it on most of the moves pretty quickly.
1: Okay. Even what? Though, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's absurd. But even if it was just like, we want you to kind of walk kind of stilted like a robot or something that's just learning to walk, fine. But, also, but then to the, like, form your hands in the claws... Just do that. Put your hands and claws like a lobster. So they, you know, so they look like a robot claws. Imagine crushing a penis between those yeah. knobby fingers. <laughs> you know, it's 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 complete lunacy. And that, yeah, like I said, that's where I, I, I have such a hard time buying that everything bad in the movie was the studio telling uh, 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 West Craven what he had to do. Also. One of the most famous scenes in this movie is in one of uh, Samantha's revenge, BB slash BB revenge scenes. She breaks back into the neighbor's house to get the basketball, grabs it and throws it with such strength that it makes Anne Ramsey's head explode. It's incredibly comical. That's one of the scenes that the studio is like, you got to put in some more horror scenes. But Chris, Christy Swanson in an interview said that Wes Craven made her throw the ball a hundred times. They did a hundred takes of that scene. So it wasn't like he was just phoning it in because uh, this was the scene they made me put in there. This is him still giving it his all. Right. And he had nothing in the tank. Right. Which is it's admirable that he would be like, okay, if I got to shoot this scene, I'm going to do my best at it. But this was still his best. What well, was
0: also like a, um, uh, let's see.
1: And I'll say to a lot of people, even if you haven't seen this movie, you've probably seen this scene because it's a pretty like popular GIF.
0: Oh, they yeah. Well, that was the thing is like you see the um, the impact, but then there's also a a bunch of uh, extra time of the body like running around and like grasping for its head, and like it's this big long horrifying scene, and then it got uh, trimmed down. Um by the MPAA. So they wanted more out of it and to make it mm-hmm. this like frightening moment. And in the the normal cut of the movie, you just get the explosion and then it's like it's cut pretty quickly.
1: It's also just such a comical concept because I don't care how hard you throw a basketball. Even if that Basketball does some extreme damage, like trauma to your head. The basketball is going to pop before it makes your head explode. No, the you'll probably,
0: it could probably cave in like an orbital bone or make a yeah, dent yeah. in the cheek or something. But yeah, to cause it to explode like that is pretty ridiculous. But, but we're talking a robot here, artificial That's true. intelligence.
1: That's true. Because well, you know what happens when you get a, a microchip shoved in your brain? Uh, you pro- develop
0: the strength, speed, and dexterity of a machine. Exactly. Yeah, without question. Exactly it, how it unlocks works. the human potential, Elliot. You're right on the money. It's, it's, it's allowing your bones and muscles and tendons to operate in ways you never knew. It's pushing your neurochemicals uh, at a rate that we can't fathom as normal humans. It's It's called science. Look it up.
1: It's it's like reverse horse tranquilizers.
0: That's right. Instead of putting you to sleep, it wakes you up. (sighs) That's why this weekend, the weekend of Halloween, I'm going to take the computer chip out of my MacBook Pro computer and I'm going to put it in my brain.
1: Well, Keith, I want to say right now it's been a pleasure being friends with you for <laughs> nearly twenty years. I'll uh,
0: probably have mercury poisoning within three hours.
1: I, I've I've really enjoyed our time together. Uh, I'll say something nice at your funeral, uh, but I I'll, I'll say I'll just say goodbye now because I think it would be too hard to to talk to you as you as your brain spatters out in <laughs> trauma from chips being shoved in it. So goodbye, so friend. Rest
0: in peace, me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Good lord. Well, yeah. After after this, it's just kind of a a barrage of BB killing people. Albert trying to cover it up, and the paper boy being like, "Shouldn't we tell somebody?" Say that again. Oh, I was just saying it's after after from this point on. The rest of the movie is pretty much. Just uh, Samantha slash BB killing people, uh, Albert trying to cover it up, and the paper boy
0: uh, demanding that they tell somebody about Oh, it. he's absolutely having a meltdown. He's the... the, the despite his uh, freakouts, he is the level-headed one and knows what they're doing is uh, inhumane and a crime against nature and is also way above their pay grade.
1: Well, I think he's also the only one who seems to have any uh, comprehension that he is an accessory to murder. Right. He understands
0: consequences.
1: Grave robbing and, uh, at the very least, medical malpractice.
0: Geniuses tend not to fear consequences, and uh, Albert is a, a perfect example of that. Yeah. Well, yeah.
1: There's just, there's just so much going on here. And but this is actually... It, oh, it all
0: it all comes to a head, though, because uh, they're out in the yard when the, the paper boy, uh, he's arguing with Albert, and he reaches his breaking point, and then Albert uh, slugs him in the face, just pops him one right in the nose, and then they get into a big fist fight. And it's my favorite scene in the whole movie when Samantha dives out oh, a second-floor window, floor window uh, to... Uh, tackle the paper boy and then is about to suplex him into oblivion, like just holds him up in a gorilla plus press slam and is going to kill him.
1: It's amazing. And this, this, this is actually shortly after that scene uh, is where I took a note again. Which is, so she, she does that, she runs off, the cops are after her, the cops are chasing her. She, the, she finds the bully, or she just runs into him, picks up the bully overhead throws it into a cop car. She does all these incredible feats of strength that all the, that all the cops and everyone else, apparently in the town, doctors, everyone else kinda of comes out for this. They all witness all these incredible feats of strength. But then, <laughs> shortly after that, she jumps over the hood of a cop car and one of the policemen who's seen all this other stuff just looks so astounded that she had the ability to jump two feet in the air. And he's yeah, just like, even Whoa? though it's kind
0: of a normal, something a normal person <laughs> could probably do. do. Yeah. But,
1: and did not react this way when she's like lifting up humans and twirling them around her head and throwing them 40 feet. He was just like, that's crazy. But when she jumps over the hood of a car, it's utterly astounding to yeah, him. Yeah,
0: it's something he just couldn't even fathom.
1: And surely before I, I want to backtrack to a second because when she kills her dad, the way she kills her dad is I, Yeah, just, I wanted
0: to bring that up because I was like, whoa, we were glossing over the most important scene in the right. movie arguably, but I it's kind of a blur to me.
1: It's uh is it, well it's funny because there is supposed to be a certain amount I think of poetic justice because she pushes him down some stairs. But the way she pushes him down stairs is she places like a like a um, a pint of whiskey on the stairs and leading into the cellar and he's just walking past and sees it and goes oh baby oh it's a trap yeah he, he's just like mo oh, that, that's what i'm talking about
0: just like, like in jaws
1: yeah not like oh uh did i leave whiskey there that's odd He's just, yeah, like, yeah. he's just like, he's just like, he's just like, he's just like mm-hmm, and like reaches down for it.
0: That's so funny. Cause I remember this has nothing to do with the movies, but one time you had a Halloween party at your house and I uh-huh. showed up as, um, uh, uh RJ McCready from yeah, the yeah. thing carrying a bottle of whiskey. And you know, this is, uh, uh, BC before COVID. And, mm-hmm. um, I was touting it as, uh, uh, a mysterious whiskey and sharing it with everyone offering them uh some of my mysterious whiskey. And so now in this movie he's just going along, finds some mysterious whiskey and he's extremely happy because he's an alcoholic. Despite right. all of these people at the party clearly being alcoholics, they were not interested in my mysterious whiskey. <laughs>
1: I also like how you touted it as a mysterious whiskey, but it was obviously labeled it as S and B whiskey that you just bought. At the oh, store. Yeah, J&B, yeah. oh, yeah, J and B, yeah, it yeah. It was a hundred
0: percent a brand new sealed bottle of whiskey. Yeah, but everyone was so off-put by my presentation that they didn't want any part of it. Yeah,
1: you didn't even have it. You hadn't even opened the bottle, had you? No,
0: it had nothing to do with me, or it had nothing to do with the whiskey. It had every, everything to do with me. It <laughs> just being like hey, guys. Was very <laughs> insulting. <laughs>
1: It was this guy wrapped in a blanket trying to give us whiskey. The
0: Hello, party! Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. So she pushes him down the stairs, and that should be the the poetic, uh, his poetic death is that's how he, that's how she went out. the yeah, audience alive. should
0: stand up and cheer in the theater. Yes, she
1: got him. He's still alive, and then she just sticks his head in a furnace, and when they take it out, it looks literally like they took a baby doll head and put it onto a, an adult size dummy and set yep. that on fire. It's it's uh it's like the proportions are completely off and
0: Yeah it's, 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 it's pretty lame, honestly. It's yeah it's not and I feel like there is notes they're like, Hey, why don't you do, do like a fire gag? Remember yeah. people love fire.
1: And they're like, Okay, if I'm, I'm gonna spend eleven million dollars on a movie, it's yeah. not gonna be on a believable head. Nope. And oh, she didn't man. even
0: she didn't even crush the head with her like vice like grip. No. I think that would have been way more satisfying.
1: Well, we've already established that those claws can only crush two things. Right. Necks and penises. Yes. Uh, they cannot, a the head will not fit in between those claws. Nope. So, th- really, that was out of, that was like, that was just off the table to begin
0: with. But during this entire section of the movie, she starts sort of jittering and being confused and, and talking like BB the robot, but then also becoming a, a, a lucid human being. For right. these short moments, and it's just very much like, is it Samantha? Is it the robot? Like, what's going on here?
1: What's never clear is is she does she when when she wakes up from death, is she is she waking up and as thinking she's a robot and then coming to realize she's uh, part human, or is she waking up as a human and coming to realize that she's part robot? Because at times it seems like she's will see a picture. she'll see herself in the mirror or something. She'd be like, Oh, I have a human face. That's weird. But then at other times she's like acting as if like, Oh yeah, I'm a human. And, uh, I remember when you and I used to be boyfriend, girlfriend, sort of, and that was cool. I don't argue
0: that as a child, she is too dumb to reconcile any of that. And she has That's no true. idea what the fuck is
1: going That's on. That's true, because because she's probably like we said, probably only about like eight or nine years old. So. Yeah,
0: much like everyone watching this movie, she has no fucking clue what the, <laughs> what's going what's on happening. She's like, hey,
1: uh, <laughs> hey, Wes. Uh, so, what? Am I a robot here, or I'm a human? And he's like, honestly, I don't know. But yeah, which leads me to another part of one of my favorite things is right around this time too. After she's like, you know, on the run, she's killed a bunch of people. The cops are coming down. Her, it starts goes to like a POV vision of hers and her vision starts switching between like regular human vision and pixelated robot vision. Right. And I'm so curious about this because that's not, that's not how human eyes work or how robot eyes work. You know, they don't uh, jump in between those two things so are her eyes slowly becoming robots. And if they are, how come they're, how come they're not just gradually becoming more and more pixelated? How come they're reverting back to regular human vision?
0: Right, yeah. Why is it sort of glitching back and forth? It's almost like there's a struggle between the two. Like, she's fighting the programming. Like, it's BB versus Samantha inside the human brain.
1: mm Yeah, but that still doesn't explain, like, are her eyeballs robot eyes or human eyes? I mean,
0: that's a rationale. It's definitely not an explanation. It doesn't explain a goddamn thing.
1: (laughs) I also feel like that was probably one of Wes Craven's favorite scenes. He's like, "This this will visualize the internal struggle between a young girl coming into her own and a robot inside of her trying to control her brain.
0: I feel like maybe just the editor was like, ah, hey, we got some of these uh, shots, uh, pixelated RoboVision. You want to throw those in?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. That That's actually an interesting idea because I was curious of whether or not this movie actually had an editor or not to begin with. It did. Do
0: you want to know who edited it? Huh. I, I, I took note of this when I read it. I thought it was fascinating because it was... Da-da-da-da. It was editor Michael Elliott brought in by Warner Brothers to re-edit the original cut, and he went on to do the same for two other Warner Brothers movies, Out for Justice and Showdown in Little Tokyo. What? (laughs) Out for Justice.
1: Anybody see Richie? Was this like, was you think he was, uh...
0: While new scenes were added, others such as more scenes between Paul and Samantha that would have made the film more of a love story as originally intended were deleted for length and pacing reasons. Hmm. Since rewrites, reshoots, and post-production re-editing heavily changed the original story, Craven and Ruben expressed strong anger and heartbreak at the studio and then virtually disowned the film. Wow, they looks like they went through their own heartbreak.
1: Jeez Louise. Uh, you know I don't know I just don't know anymore like I said this is probably uh not probably it's definitely the West Craven movie I've seen that I've enjoyed the most but it's also one of the the most hacky ones I've seen and he has a lot of hacky movies yeah well this I feel like this would have been a lot more hacky
0: if it would have been his actual vision and also under the original title do you want to know what it is
1: Wasn't it just friend or something? It was friend. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) Wes Craven presents friend. Friend. (laughs) (laughs) You think this was like, remember that TV show Small Wonder? Oh, yeah. You think it was literally, he was just trying to do that? It might be. I mean, I bet
0: he had no idea that that was even on television. Yeah. God.
1: Yeah, it's, it it would be interesting to see what his original cut would have been. Like, would it have been, more engaging because it would have been even more ludicrous because it wouldn't have at least had the sensationalized elements of it that kind of make it fun or would it just have been a complete slog to sit through the two two hours of a robot girl and a boy trying to figure out their differences
0: i'm sorry i was reading about the ending (laughs) and i completely missed what you just said
1: i said uh I said it it's, it would be interesting to see if that if if his original uh, idea would be more entertaining or more engaging uh, because it would be it sounds like it's even more ludicrous than what we were watching on the screen.
0: I mean, who knows? Maybe it would have been like a like a flowers for Algernon or like of mice and men, like maybe it would have been like an achievement It's something really special. who knows i
1: I have a st- strong, strong doubt because like once again, like, Unless every single scene of this movie was reshot, and and and, the, and and those were the and that's what we saw. If any of these scenes were Wes Craven, Craven's original vision, it wasn't a good movie. You know? I don't
0: know. There's lots of people that think Mac and Me has a lot of heart and is like a touching ripoff of E.T. Those,
1: those people are fucking idiots. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like that's not why that movie's entertaining.
0: You're telling me their feelings aren't valid? Correct. All right. Correct. Well, should we get to the uh, the ending of this? Yes.
1: Oh yeah. This fucking. I, oh my god. So, are you talking about like the very ending or I'm, the lead up?
0: Well, we can talk about the lead up, but yeah, the very last shot of the
1: movie. I'm. I very can. Conf- so she gets shot by the cops. You know, that's that's she's defeated. Some for some reason, Albert's not in jail.
0: Yeah, would you think that's the end? Is when she gets blown away by the police because they right. they can see what a a vicious, dangerous terror she is, and he's like, ah, but wait, I can probably think my way out of this one. <laughs> he's yeah, wrong. you assume
1: you assume that she yeah she dies, and then what happens afterwards is Albert gets arrested, goes on trial, uh, probably gets a slap on the wrist. You know, all things considered, you know, does like six months in jail because. Uh, the judge is like well you're a brilliant young boy you're just uh, you know you just sh- shouldn't be robbing graves and you know putting computer chips and corpses that's what you could assume happens but that's not what happens and honestly I'm confused is what we see after that is it a dream sequence or is it what's really happening
0: well is which part a dream sequence
1: after she, at the final the very final scene after after she's Killed and Albert's still on the loose. Not where in jail. does he
0: go? He goes into the morgue. Yes. He breaks into the morgue. That's the wild part. And thats I feel like that's a perfect example of like Wes Craven would be like, yes, the slow motion death of Samantha and the heartbreak of Albert, the young genius, is where this movie ends and we'll have some sad piano music or maybe a shot of them at the funeral and then freeze frame into the credits. Something like that. And instead, he's breaking into the morgue like a fucking ghoul. <laughs> he's
1: like, he's like, I'm at it again, he's guys. He's like,
0: I'm telling you, I have one more idea up my sleeve. We're not licked yet.
1: Let's just. It's like he's like, he's like, of course your first per- experiment's never perfect. That's why you got to do tests. Yeah, it's called like, got, science. He's like, I got this figured out. I got another computer chip. The problem was I only put one in the first time. I it's put, more put
0: chips. It's a process. We're gonna add a battery. I promise it'll work this time. <laughs> but yeah, how did he get out? How is he walking free? Well, he, should that's at, what I'm, he should at least be under house arrest.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like, that's the portion of it that I'm confused. Is, is this a dream sequence? Because not only is he free, but it just instantly cuts to this. It goes straight from her getting shot in the street to him busting into a morgue. There's no, there's no piece of editing that bridges anything.
0: Here's what we can understand is once he breaks in, he is going to open up her skull and put more shit in there.
1: That's, the- that's a given.
0: Theoretically, what we already know is that she has been sitting in this morgue on ice already with a computer chip in her brain and an artificial intelligence operating. So what would an artificial intelligence do during this idle time and this, this period of downtime? without any interference, without any uh, overt missions, without any prime directives to carry out, well, it would heal itself. It would execute a repair program.
1: Ah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And by repairing itself, it would clearly manufacture an entire robot form underneath the skin of its human flesh.
1: Yeah, because that's exactly what happens.
0: And then what we we, we get uh, is because uh, we've, we we glossed over the part where Albert had to uh, smack BB or uh, Samantha in the face when she oh, was yeah. trying to kill the paperboy. Mm-hmm. He he really had to. He had to become what he hated, which was I thought was actually a really great moment because he whacks her in the face, and the way she looks at him is the same way, it's that same murderous rage that B.B. looked at uh, the biker Literally. that wronged him and the uh, mean old lady and just everyone who had a problem with him.
1: It's basically the way he looks at every single character in the yes. movie. From, de- from the get, he's like, I'm going to fucking kill all these people.
0: Yes. he. W- that's th- And that's what an interesting commentary is. This artificial intelligence is light years beyond human comprehension has such disdain and hatred for the very existence of people that it's made its sole purpose to eradicate them. Not unlike David in Prometheus and Whoa. Alien Covenant.
1: Holy shit.
0: And that's where that lands about 50 years later. <laughs> Uh, But we don't get, we don't get, once the the robot springs forth from the skin of Samantha and starts uh, choking Albert.
1: Right. And then what happens? In the the, the morgue. Well, yeah, he walks in. He goes, he's like, does he have a computer chip in his hand? He's got something. And her eyes, like, spring open, grabs him by the neck. You see the flesh peel apart, and then there's just this robotic armature that looks identical to... uh, original BB yes underneath uh her her skin. And let me tell you once again, if this was an eleven million dollar movie and that's that's how we accomplished uh this scene, ouch. Because it is not good.
0: Yeah, I feel like they they probably uh inflated the budget just based off of like Wes Craven trying to explain and rationalize with a movie he was trying to make to actors and writers and everybody right. else. And they were like, Well, we're out of time, like, let's hurry up these effects.
1: Right, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so what what happens, you said? Uh well, but she yeah, what happens? Him. So yeah, she starts
0: choking him and he screams, ah and then it just cuts to black, right?
1: Uh huh. And an incredible song starts to play. I
0: think so but before you before you get to that, I think that it's real. I don't think okay. it's a dream.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. Is it a dream? The, see the the thing that the questions me makes me question is this real or a dream is one just how how sharply we cut from her being shot to him being in the morgue you know just loose (laughs) what if Uh, what if
0: there never was a bb i would not be surprised (laughs) what if that was the entire just the entire setup was just this delusional genius who never had a robot to begin with
1: What if Albert wasn't a particularly smart kid at all, just a sci-fi nerd, who had to write a story where he was the main star for his English class, and this is what he wrote, and then it was projected in this fantasy moment, and that's the entire movie. That would explain a whole lot. And he got a C C plus on the report because it was horribly written, but she gave him a little bit extra for creativity. I think that explains everything.
0: Oh, God. Can you imagine if that was the final scene instead of... So, like, he uh, he starts getting strangled, and then you uh, smash cut to him standing in class, like, choking himself, going, Ah! <laughs> yeah.
1: and, and then the they bell-
0: both die. <laughs> the the bell- end. <laughs> and
1: the bell rings, and they're like, Well, thank you, Albert. Yeah, that great was, job, uh, <laughs> Albert. That was uh, very creative. Yeah. <laughs> My God. Oh, See, these are these are the moments that this film was missing because if if that happened that would be just pure cinematic gold right there uh, see oh man yeah I still don't know if it's if it's not a dream or not because don't you think there should have been a scene where it's like he's being albert's being arrested and then he like steals the gun from the cop and he's like Don't do anything. Leave me alone. And he runs off into the night, breaks into the morgue. That's the logical progression. Or he
0: should have been – or he should have gotten shot trying to protect Samantha. And then they end up in the hospital next to each other.
1: And then uh, the mom breaks in with computer chips and is like, don't worry, son. I'll save you and takes the chip out of Samantha's head and shoves it in his. So therefore, then he becomes a mix between himself, BB, and Samantha, his three favorite people in the whole world. And his life's a fucking, you know, the jam after that.
0: Yeah, that could really just have solved all the problems.
1: Well, see, if they were going to re-edit this movie, they should have had us on set as like three-year-olds. Yeah, I would. As script consultants. uh, (laughs) It's like, well, Wes... We feel like there's a lot of problems with what you and uh, Joel have got going on here, so we brought in two uh, two experts to be scripts consultants. Uh, say hello to Baby Elliot and Baby Keith. Would have been yes. something. Okay. Well, I don't know. I can't, I can't know if I can go on anymore about about this.
0: I mean, that's the gist of the movie. Yeah. I mean, it is a wild ride from start to finish, and. Oh.
1: The, but other than the uh, the the end song, the credit song that plays immediately after the scream, which is out of this world.
0: Yeah, it's one of those songs that just says the characters' names from the movie.
1: It says it goes like, I, "And you think maybe because it goes like beep beep pap beep beep pap Do you think they're trying to do like the the?" Friday the 13th theme but insert BB the robot's name into it I think over that's, and over and over and over again that's where they were headed that's the only thing I can assume because I was I was just listening to this and I'm like what's going on right now or like um, uh,
0: you know the the Bloodsport song where they just say Kumite over and over <laughs> right, again yeah. or uh, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon which I think
1: has a song where it's like the last dragon yes yeah 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 Oh, my goodness. Well, I would, yeah. In conclusion, I would 100% recommend this movie to everyone. Uh, it's a riot. Yeah, it's...
0: You, there's nothing like it, really. No. Like, they don't make movies like this anymore. They never did. They never did make movies like this. It's like a, a sitcom, an after-school special, a slasher movie, mm-hmm. Terminator, all rolled into one.
1: Yeah, it's like, it's weird, too, because I... By and large, I don't believe in the, oh, it's so bad, it's good type uh, philosophy because it's usually like even if a movie's poorly made, if you're enjoying it, there's got to be something like narratively speaking, it's got an engaging narrative and then it has some charm from the shoddiness of the production, you know. But if a movie's just like bad, 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 it's bad. Like, you know, people – what was uh, – Plan 9 Outer Space was always used to be referred to as the worst movie ever made. But if you've ever watched any Ev Ed Wood's movies, it's his best movie. You know, so it's not the worst movie ever made, it's the most watchable of his horrible movies. Yeah, it's the movies. least worst.
0: Yeah, because he he was onto something. And I mean that's right. the whole I mean, point. Like we talk about this almost every episode. Like the whole point of this show is talking about movies that they were onto something and they had something and it just didn't quite uh uh hit for whatever reason or maybe it was the wrong time or maybe it was the right. wrong place uh to release the movie and yeah it just didn't find its audience yet but this movie has no audience and it exactly. has no redeeming value and it 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 missed on nearly every conceivable level but does that mean it's not worth checking out at least once of course well, not
1: I- yeah, it's, I would say it's worth. I would. I, this is. I think this will be a movie that now is kind of in my steady rotation of things to watch. You know, every couple of years, but this. Yeah, to me, this kind of breaks my my rule of of there being like there's not really a a movie so bad it's good. This is like the perfect storm of bad misfires. No ingredient is successful, and uh, the end result is just kind of <laughs> something amazing to watch.
0: Yeah, and it's always fun to watch these movies that have sort of uh, production troubles and like a studio history, and and there's fascinating interviews and kind of lore behind it. That like there's never not a good time uh, to watch these types of movies because when you can connect the dots on on a time and a place and what was happening to people and the product of their effort and their their art and their work. It's always, always really interesting and a lot of fun, mm-hmm. I think.
1: Absolutely, yeah. This is, this is at at the very least, it is fascinating and thoroughly entertaining from start to finish. There's not a boring second in the movie. And it's
0: also a lot of fun to watch with people late at night. And that doesn't make it just a movie. That makes it a midnight special
1: and there you go everyone full circle the thing we said at the beginning came back at the end yeah it's like called a narrative it's
0: like when you (laughs) it's like when you watch the movie and there's a titular line oh good lord Which is always you know that always gets me going but yeah give the give this a watch for your halloween viewing and your your spooky movie pleasure if Check anything, it it's like you could add this to the tales of uh you know, suburban legends and uh and you know, neighborhood Well, oh, I remember that weird kid growing up. He had a robot in the basement and it That's was right. his dead girlfriend. That's come right. back to
1: life. I knew it all along. Oh my yeah. It's great it's great fun, spooky Halloween horror movie. It's 'tis the season. Uh tell us what you what what kind of movies you like for this for these reasons. What are your Midnight's uh, specials. What are your favorite uh, Halloween movies that don't really fit into a particular box or are kind of a rando pick? Not you know the cla- you know, like the obvious. Like, well, I really like uh, the thing, or I really like watching. Uh, I really like uh, Halloween. Halloween. That's but oh, went to oh the yeah, Halloween. no,
0: never heard of it. Good one.
1: Exorcist. Yes, we understand the, the great Exorc-
0: movies I don't think the Exorcist is a Halloween movie.
1: Ah, I would call it whatever. It's a horror. It's a classic horror movie. Like it, obviously, it is. obviously, these are great horror movies. Same with the Omen. That...
0: I don't watch the Omen at Halloween.
1: Yeah, Omen's kind of. I I rewatched that uh, a couple of years ago, and it was the first time I'd seen it since I was a kid, and really didn't hold up for me very well. There's some cool oh. parts in it, yeah. but I was I was mostly bored. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, okay then. Uh, how about this? How about you tell us your favorite movies where kids become friends with robots? Boom. There we go. Or where kids become robots or where kids drug their moms in order to go steal that's, dead bodies. That's
1: the one I want to hear. <laughs> your favorite movie where kids drug their moms, whatever their goal, purpose, why irrelevant?
0: Nickelodeon presents kids drugging their moms to steal bodies from the morgue.
1: Already a great show. Who needs our friend the dark? <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that kind of wraps it up, hey Keith? Yep.
0: Yep. We had a great time watching uh, Deadly Friend and staying up all night yeah, and so uh can't wait to see way. what we're going to do for the next one.
1: I don't know. I'll probably we'll probably just do this one again, honestly.
0: Yes, we'll just talk about Deadly Friend, <laughs> friend again.
1: Well, from 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 a different point of
0: view. Yeah, we'll have come up with a different angle on it for sure. We'll
1: put, we'll put ourselves, we'll do it, we'll do a, a scenario where you pretend you're Wes Craven and I pretend I'm every actor. Oh yeah, we'll do a,
0: a dramatization of what it was like on the set, right. creating it's like, Deadly It'll be Friend. like one of
1: those like VH1 behind the, behind the music things where we're being interviewed and talking about our perspective of the movie and the final outcome and the bullshit of what the, the, that, that happened. Oh, that That's sounds way episode. better. That sounds great. Okay. Yeah. All right. Should,
0: ne- next time on the Trash Heap, new format, new direction, a completely different show.
1: And new hosts. Yes. <laughs> We're out.
0: We're out. They're in.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, un- until then, what do we say, Keith?
0: Signing off for the last time. <laughs> until next time, the dumpster is closed. Happy Halloween. This isn't the Halloween episode What? We're gonna be doing more Take it back Take it back
1: Happy uh, uh, Happy St. Patrick's Day